Hey there, where have you been? Welcome to the No Jet Stress podcast, the show that helps you maintain optimal health and peak performance as a road warrior, no matter how much you travel. I'm your host, Christopher Babiodi, traveler wellness advocate, nutritional therapist, author, and ex-flight attendant of 20 years at British Airways, one of the UK's largest airlines. From our last episode, we pick up from Scott asking me if there was anything missing in our healthy traveller wellness approach. I think it's the idea that we need to go deeper. And yes, for anyone who just hears that snippet of what we're talking about, it just sounds like some regular type of healthy stuff that everyone should be doing. But when we provide the context of the fact that this is a business traveller, this is the lifestyle they're living, and sometimes they might find it hard to do those things, We have to get a lot more granular in how we provide those kind of solutions that enable them to do that. And for me, what I've seen missing is what I call the idea of a partnership between the business traveler and their organization, be it big or small or medium sized, because the 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 old way that I've understood it to be practiced, the, the, this type of solution is, yes, you come in, you get a solution and you go off and you don't check in. There's no accountability. There's no recognition that this is a major driver to how you're going to be able to perform in the role that you have. And therefore, you are left to your own devices as to the tools and the means by which you achieve that. And some of them are constructive and some of them are not. And to to put a finer point on that, my time in the aviation industry, I would often hear people say, yeah, you know, um, I'm I'm taking this eight hour sector trip. When I get home, I take a, a, a couple of bottles of wine and that knocks me out and that gives me the ability to sleep. Well, yes, it might do that, but is that sustainable? Is that sustainable long term? So there's this there's this gap where people don't have the tools, and unless they go out and find them for themselves, then it's hit and miss as to whether they're able to be consistent. It's always been about how do you find and maintain sustainable systems and tools. And as a side note, I, I, my understanding of the landscape is that you need a system. You need a system to be able to implement that. That system needs to be taught to any business travel community. And there need to be checks and balances in place that look after and monitor how that's going on. So to me, one of the, we've talked about, you know, the performance athlete traveler aspect of it. And if you look at performance athlete travelers, one of the tools that they've used very to, to great effect has been heart rate variability monitoring. I'm a huge fan of this. I'm a huge fan because the launch of Aura, which is a heart rate vari- variability monitoring tool, I was still in the aviation industry myself and I could see how bad my sleep was compared to the fact that I've now moved away from that and I'm consulting with other people. So my own metrics have changed and it's something that it's, you know, day and night, it's that clear. So the types of tools that we use need to be put in place within a system that allows it to be deployed. And part of the conversation has to be 
what is the mindset of the traveler that you have? Are they already, I mean, again, some of the things that you mentioned, like the TMC being able to identify the specific needs or at least begin to fathom where their travelers might need help and to see how willing they are or how well they understand the need to make this a priority. I, I had a conversation with a colleague a while ago who, when I was still flying, who basically was quite happy to leave it to the organization that he was part of to provide the tools. And that doesn't endear him to making this a must for his own health. And at the end of the day, when anyone leaves flying, their health is going to be you know, a major indicator of the quality of life that they have. So they might as well get into it right now. To your point, yes, sleep, you know, nutrition, uh, mental health are specifics. And the wrapper that I like to uh, turn to to help monitor that specifically is heart rate variability. And if so I haven't... You're, sorry, so you think that's a, a good and or maybe the best proxy for traveler well-being? Definitely, without a shadow of doubt. The, the phrase I like to use is making traveler well-being scientific. And I choose those words carefully because we're all individuals. We have idiosyncrasies. We have different ways in which we live our lifestyle. And therefore, challenges that business travelers have may vary. But at the end of the day, it's about the stress that they accumulate that impedes or enables them to function well. So we need to be cognizant of that as we go about recommending tools. And this is one that everyone can actually use. Business travelers tend to be busy types of people and they're juggling many things and they have you know, quite a few different stresses coming in. And heart rate variability as a tool is easy to implement. It's easy to monitor and it's easy to have monitored if it's just not your thing and you don't necessarily want to add another thing to the many things that one is juggling. And again, I'll come back. I'm not, I'm, I'm not paid by Aura for anything at all, but it's basically a ring that you put on your finger and it measures your heart rate variability. You get some results in an app and it can help you understand the stress load that you have and how you might want to pace yourself in the day to come so you avoid burnout and you get the optimal result of whatever it is you're facing at the time. And when you talk about heart rate variability, if I can just go a bit deeper into that subject for the, for the minute, when you talk about heart rate, variability, heart rate variability, you're talking about having a base level of fitness to fly, putting it in our language, that is, because you're thinking about training. Training, Are you? do you have a base level of fitness? Because you need that when you travel, otherwise the road will eat you up. What kind of nutrition? And the one you mentioned at the top of our discussion here, sleep, you know, how your ability to manage stress and your general level of activity in life. These are the five cornerstones in the heart rate variability model that speak directly to our ability to be good business travelers, get that work-life balance. And from the BCD travel survey that we're, we're talking about here, they're clearly indicated. So let's take that wholesale and put it in the context of the traveler to make sure that we use it as a tool and it can work seamlessly with anyone who has the willingness to understand and want to improve their work-life balance 
without too much, you know, without too much cost even. We, as we come out of COVID, I think there was a conversation that was being had about, do you, how do you measure, you know, what do you focus on? Do you focus on traveler safety or traveler well-being? And I don't think that it's an either or question. It's both, particularly because we're coming out of COVID. And that's what's topmost in everyone's mind, I guess, in some of the other surveys I've seen. But at the same time, traveler well-being supports both of those, whereas traveler safety, when you talk about that in, in the corporate world, it's pretty much about external things that are happening rather than what can the individual also do to make sure that they are less susceptible to whatever it is that's out there as such? I feel like I've rambled on a bit there, Scott, but what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking a lot about the element of the heart rate variability. That's a new concept to me. I had seen a study maybe 10 years ago by CWT, I think, which is in your collection of materials, where they measured traveler stress using probably just a heart rate monitor. I think on travelers. So there may be a difference there, but it was illustrative for sure. It helped, you know, it helped point to the stress peaks during a trip, if you will. But I, I would just encourage our audience to think that this really does need to be a pretty comprehensive view of traveler well-being, and just to stretch the argument a bit, stretch people's minds, if you will. If you were fielding a team for some sport, you know, when you think about American football, you know, rest of the world football, <laughs> whichever <laughs> way you want to think about it, but you're going to want to put the best athletes that you can get on the field because yep. you know that's going to increase your probability of winning. Right. So what does the best athlete look like if we're talking about a road warrior? And I'll just, I'll, I'll just give you. Uh, an observation yesterday, uh, I was traveling back from Philadelphia. So in the, in the Philadelphia airport, and I will tell you that I was on a business, you know, on a business flight for the most part, it was a Thursday evening, Philadelphia to Cleveland, not a lot of leisure travelers there. And I will also say that a very high percentage of that, of that cabin, the economy cabin was filled with people, you know, that, that did not look like they were in good shape. Right. You know, just judging by their weight and their posture. So is should should some health, some very concrete health metrics be part of kind of the idea that you need to field the best possible team? And if you don't have the best possible team on some of these metrics, heart rate variability included, what's the intervention? Okay, great. Great. Yeah. So okay, can can I interject to that? Please go. Okay. So I think actually going back a bit now to a point you made about you specifically addressing a subsection of travelers, i.e., the high volume or frequency business travelers. My argument has always been that if you focus on the extreme in that end, you can actually find out all the interventions you need to do for that subsection and you know, from that, you can pull out the things that you can do to maybe people who don't necessarily travel as much, but will also be useful for everyone else behind them, the less frequent travelers. So that's one. In our in our industry, I think what captures it best is this idea of fitness to fly. 
So as crew, when when I went to sign in for a trip, I was basically ticking a box to say, I'm fit to fly. You're self-certifying that you're fit to fly, basically. Whether you went to the gym or like the gym or like the outdoors or that didn't really come into the question. You were just saying, yes, you're present and you're here. And that that was that. But for for what you're actually saying you experienced in your flight is that looking at those people, probably there were people who wouldn't typically be fit to fly. And this is a challenge. So the baseline that we have to start from is, are you fit to fly for our audience? Are you fit to fly? What does that mean? That's a basic level of aerobic fitness. That is a look at any pre-existing conditions that that person may have and how they're able to manage that for themselves or with help, that's something that should be done up front before or as they are being engaged to take on that role to be the ambassador of whatever organization or whatever it is they're traveling for. So that's one piece. Then during the trip, having an understanding of a system that they can use during their lifetime of travel on business or for whatever is also the second piece. And then the third piece is understanding that when you get to your destination, you're still on duty, so to speak. So that's where the piece where we're being, it's being reflected back to us in the, the BCD travel, where they're saying we want good places to eat and so on and so forth. There, there, there is, there's the before, fitness to fly, the system you use to manage the actual flying as a job in and of itself, and what you do when you're at that destination, because it's a continent. And it, it all helps to keep things working. So but, well, let's add a fourth, and okay. that's the the post-trip recovery. Yeah. yeah. Kind of the, the ice bath, if you will, after <laughs> coming off the pitch. <laughs> yes, totally. So that really does point to the idea of this as a lifestyle. Because if you, the kind of frequency that I had within aviation was that I did four trips a month, sometimes five. And pretty much every three or four days, I was packing my bag again to take off to go somewhere else. And I did that for 13 solid years on, on long haul trips. And then I did six and a half years on short haul trips, which is a different type of travel, but a tiring nonetheless. That is what makes it a lifestyle. And therefore, if that is really communicated well to the business traveler that's about to take to the road, and they understand that, and it's not necessary that it becomes the the prerogative of the company to have the business traveler understand that they have to, the, the business traveler has to arrive at that understanding in and of themselves. So the minds, there's a mindset shift that we're talking about here. And the reason I say that is because yes, you can provide people with all the tools and it's not necessarily on their priority list because they see it as disjointed and not necessarily connected to their goals within the context of what they're doing. And therefore it doesn't take. And the uptake of this is so important that the conversation, again, I'm coming back, I hope I'm not jumping about too much here, but it comes back to this idea of this, the partnership between the traveler and the organization and them understanding the roles that they both play and how they both support each other. Yeah, so here's a way that we can 
get there, I think. And it's something I'm advocating as part of the the speaking I'm doing around the country on on this topic of less travel, better results. In a nutshell, I'm trying to get organizations to recognize the merits of traveling less, weeding out, eliminating the low-value trips, and preserving travel budgets for the higher-value trips in order to get overall better results based on whatever the company's priorities are. What strikes me as as an interesting approach to this topic is that there may be two goals here in the sense of a road warrior, typically they're very committed. To take on that kind of travel is a big commitment. So they have to be, you know, there's motivation there, there's commitment, there's there's something in it for them that keeps them willing to put another foot on another plane. So maybe we should be measuring, in addition to overall trip success, which is something that not any company is doing yet that I know of, but that we need to be doing. We need to get travelers to make some kind of good faith self-assessment of how successful their trips were. It's a really important metric that fits nicely into this because you would expect more trip success from those who those travelers who feel better, right? And who are better conditioned, better prepared, et cetera. But maybe we also need to be measuring from the traveler's perspective, how professionally successful was this trip for you, right? I mean, if you're a salesperson, you can estimate that in terms of your potential for increasing, you know, commission revenue or bonus revenue, whatever. But for other other travelers, you can just rely on them to make some kind of a self-assessment that says, you know what, I made some really good connections or I increased the bond that I've got with my my manager or I made a really good presentation to an important audience whatever what you know you can just imagine how the traveler can distill the benefits of a trip to their own professional perspective and get them to rate that so now we might have a few ways to look at what's the payoff of trying to get our travelers to take more commitment to this well-being idea do we see it reflected in these personal trip success scores? Do we see it reflected in the kind of the corporate level trip success scores? That's where I think we can begin to tease the procurement people who might be in charge of funding these kinds of things. You got, you've just got to boil this down to a point where a manager can, a senior manager can say, yes, this looks like a good investment for us. We should be doing more of this. And I'm afraid that when we just until we talk about some metrics like heart rate variability, but you got to connect that to some business goals. If we don't do that, we're not going to get very far. Right. As interesting as this topic is. Right. And this is the language of those who can make the decisions to make it happen. The other side of that, for me, is that I've had people come to me that I've worked with who are not prepared to just take on the organizations take, and, and you're speaking to this, you you really are, in as much as what is the success or how does the traveler see that as success, i.e. the trip as success. But broadly speaking, if we say work-life balance, that's one thing. But I think the travelers themselves, once they've made the, mind sh- the mindset shift, they have to define specifically for themselves what the wins are whether that be professional or otherwise, mm-hmm. i.e. one of my flights coming back a long time ago from Tokyo, you know, going to Tokyo, one of the, from, from London, which is where I'm based, one of the, the, the longer trips and the most draining. And this gentleman had been doing it for about five and a half years. 
and he had set everything up to work as best as he could. It wasn't good enough. So then he decided to flip his schedule to make it work for him so he could have time at home with his wife and his kids. That was the win that kept him on the road for those five and a half years. I think we also need to have people really understand, and it's not always so easy to pin down because we are growing and priorities change and so on and so forth. But I think adding that piece in those terms from the traveler's perspective can also potentially help with that, you know, attrition costs that we're trying to to avoid somewhat because you get full engagement for the company's priorities, the person's professional priorities and their personal priorities as well. Thank you for listening. Join us in part three, where we discuss how getting right fit candidates for business travel and expat positions is more than just about the job. We ask, where does traveller wellness sit in a managed travel programme? and why Scott thinks HR is best place to execute it. Why motivating travellers is better than demanding compliance. What kind of cultures and support enable traveller wellness? How do you measure traveller readiness to fly? What does that look like? We also discuss how you may be sacrificing the productivity of your business travellers if you don't have a traveller wellness programme fit for purpose. I hope you'll join us. Until then, wherever you go, farewell.